Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 1. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, in the twelfth of the month, hath the word of Jehovah been unto me, saying, This would be the tenth year after Ezekiel was captured and taken to the land of the Chaldeans. When Ezekiel first started prophesying against Jerusalem, it was about 15 years in advance of the fall of Jerusalem, and now we're about five years in advance of the fall of Jerusalem. But in this chapter, the Lord is giving Ezekiel a prophecy against Egypt. Egypt had persecuted the Israelites many times, but it was also the land where the Israelites had lived for 400 years. And I think maybe that's why the Lord always restores Egypt after he punishes Egypt. It was a homeland for his people for hundreds of years. And off and on, Egypt had also helped Israel, depending on who the Pharaoh was. But at this time, because Egypt is not going to help Israel when Jerusalem falls, the Lord is prophesying against it. 2. Son of man, set thy face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy concerning him and concerning Egypt, all of it. This prophecy is going to be against Egypt and Pharaoh. According to scholars, the Pharaoh being prophesied against is Hophra. 3. Speak, and thou hast said, Thus said the Lord Jehovah, Lo, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that is crouching in the midst of his floods, who hath said, My flood is my own, and I, I have made it for myself. One of the greatest Egyptian gods was called Sobek, or Sebek, and that name means crocodile. King Pharaoh thinks of himself as a god that looks like a crocodile. Crocodiles, they're impervious to destruction in the Nile, meaning they can open their mouth and waters can go into their mouth and they'll be just fine. And the force of the Nile River won't hurt a crocodile because it's so strong. Pharaoh thinks that he is strong and that nothing can hurt him. The Lord hates all of the Egyptian gods, so he hates Sobek, and he hates it that Pharaoh calls himself Sobek. And in fact, Pharaoh is so arrogant that he gives himself credit for creating the Nile, but it's the Lord who created the Nile. 4. And I have put hooks in thy jaws, and I have caused the fish of thy floods to cleave to thy scales, and I have caused thee to come up from the midst of thy floods, and every fish of thy floods to thy scales doth cleave. The Lord says that he is going to put a hook in the jaws of this crocodile, who is Pharaoh, and he's going to cause the fish that the crocodile eats to stick to his scales, and he's going to pull this crocodile up out of the water by a hook. 5. And I have left thee in the wilderness, thou and every fish of thy floods, on the face of the field thou dost fall, thou art not gathered, nor assembled, to the beast of the earth, and to the fowl of the heavens, I have given thee for food. He says that he's going to lay the crocodile 
in the dry wilderness where it can't survive very well. He's going to lay it there with all the fish that are clinging to its scales, and then the wild animals and the birds will eat it alive. This means that Pharaoh, represented by the crocodile, and his people, represented by the fish clinging to his scales, will be desolate in the wilderness of Egypt. It seems to be saying that there will be a drought in the Nile, or that Egypt will be attacked by a foreign nation. Pharaohs live off of their people, and a crocodile eats fish, but the fish also worship this crocodile. They're his people, as well as his resource for survival. 6. And known have all inhabitants of Egypt that I am Jehovah, because of their being a staff of reed to the house of Israel. A staff of reed is a very weak staff. Normally you use a stick to walk with, but a reed is easily bendable. It's one of those pieces of vegetation that are around a river or a swamp. It won't hold you up if you're trying to use it as a walking stick. And Egypt couldn't hold Israel up when Israel was attacked by Babylon. Egypt retreated. 7. In their taking hold of thee by thy hand, thou art crushed, and hast rent to them all the shoulder, and in their leaning on thee thou art broken, and hast caused all their thighs to stand. This is a metaphor saying that when Israel tried to lean on Egypt like a crutch or like a walking stick, the stick poked Israel in the armpit, and it also bent because reeds are not strong enough to use as a walking stick or a crutch. 8. Therefore thus said the Lord Jehovah, Lo, I am bringing in against thee a sword, and have cut off from thee man and beast. 9. And the land of Egypt hath been for a desolation and a waste, and they have known that I am Jehovah, because he said, The flood is mine, and I made it. Because Pharaoh believed that he created the Nile and owned it, the Lord is going to bring a battling army against Egypt. The people and the animals of Egypt are going to be killed. Egypt will lose its resources. 10. Therefore, lo, I am against thee, and against floods, and have given the land of Egypt for wastes, a waste, a desolation, from Migdol to Syene, and unto the border of Cush. All the way from the northern part of Egypt to the southern border, Egypt will be attacked and wasted. 11. Not pass over into it doth a foot of man, yea, the foot of beast doth not pass into it, nor is it inhabited forty years. This destruction is going to last for forty years. The destruction of Jerusalem is going to last for seventy years, which means Egypt will recover sooner from its punishment. After Egypt was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar, for 40 years there weren't any animals or people in the greater part of Egypt. It could also be metaphorical, because 40 always represents a wilderness and a time of testing. And he said that he was going to put the crocodile in the wilderness, and then he said it was for 40 years. This means that the nation of Egypt would be tested by the Lord for 40 years. 
when we're tested, we always suffer. We're not getting what we want to see if we will trust the Lord and turn to him. But of course, the Egyptians always remained a pagan nation, so they wouldn't have passed that test. 12. And I have made the land of Egypt a desolation, in the midst of desolate lands, and its cities in the midst of waste cities, are a desolation forty years. And I have scattered the Egyptians among nations, and I have dispersed them through lands. Many of the Egyptians would have been taken as slaves into Babylon. That would be interesting if you were taken as a slave into Babylon as an Israelite, and then you met other slaves who were Egyptian slaves, and you knew that the Egyptians had promised to help you when the Babylonians came to Jerusalem, but then they retreated and they never helped, and then you see them later as fellow slaves. 13. But thus said the Lord Jehovah, At the end of forty years I gather the Egyptians out of the peoples, whither they have been scattered. Whether this is a metaphorical forty years or a literal forty years, it still shows that the Lord is going to restore Egypt after a time of testing. 14. And I have turned back to the captivity of Egypt, and I have brought them back to the land of Pathros, to the land of their birth, and they have been there a low kingdom. When the Lord brings them back home, they will be a lower kingdom than what they had been before. Up to this point the Egyptians were a world power, but when he brings them back after forty years, they won't quite be a world power anymore. 15. Of the kingdoms it is lowest, and it lifteth not up itself any more above the nations, and I have made them few, so as not to rule among nations. To this day Egypt still exists, and it's a well-known nation, but it's not a world power. It hasn't been since the time that Nebuchadnezzar attacked it. 16. And it is no more to the house of Israel for a confidence, bringing iniquity to remembrance by their turning after them, and they have known that I am the Lord Jehovah. Just as the Lord had said earlier in the book of Ezekiel, the Israelites will never look to the Egyptians again for help. 17. And it cometh to pass, in the twenty and seventh year, in the first month, in the first of the month, hath the word of Jehovah been unto me, saying, This twenty-seventh year would be about twenty-seven years after Ezekiel was sent to the land of the Chaldeans, and it would also be about fifteen years after Jerusalem had fallen. So there's a huge gap of time in between verse 16 and verse 17. When we get to verse 17, Jerusalem had already fallen about fifteen years ago, so it has another fifty-five years to go before Jerusalem is restored. 18. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath caused his force to serve a great service against Tyre. Every head is bald, every shoulder peeled, and reward he had none, nor his force, out of Tyre, for the service that he served against it. This is long after Ezekiel had prophesied against Tyre, and it's also long after Jerusalem fell. The Lord is telling Ezekiel that 
when Babylon took over Tyre, Nebuchadnezzar didn't really gain any wealth from it. Perhaps this is because he had to battle so long and hard to overtake the city that whatever plunder he would have gotten was lost in the cost of the battle itself. It could also mean that some of the plunder was thrown into the sea, either by the Tyrrhenians or somehow in battle that it was lost. And this says that the soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar had bald spots on their head from wearing the helmets for so many months. The helmets rubbed on their heads until they had bald spots, and their shoulders were sore from the metal rubbing on their shoulders. This must have been a bitter realization for Nebuchadnezzar that he conquered Tyre almost for nothing. 20. His wage for which he labored I have given to him, the land of Egypt, and that they wrought for me an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah. When Nebuchadnezzar overtook Tyre, he didn't really make a profit out of it. The Lord gave Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar. This would not only reward Nebuchadnezzar for his hard work in overtaking both areas that the Lord wanted him to overtake, but also it accomplished the Lord's purpose of punishing Egypt for not being helpful to the Israelites. You might ask, how does God have the authority to punish those whom he uses or to reward sinners that he uses? And the answer is, he's God. He made all of us. He gave all of us an opportunity for salvation, and none of us could take another breath unless it's his will. He's God. He's the creator, and we are the created. He can do anything he wants. If we don't believe that and we don't accept that, then we aren't accepting who he is, and we're not humble enough to follow him and be his people. And a good father will even reward a generally naughty child if that child does one thing that the father asks him to. And the Lord has a right to reward Nebuchadnezzar. 21. In that day I caused to shoot up a horn to the house of Israel, and to thee I give an opening of the mouth in their midst, and they have known that I am Jehovah. A horn means strength. In the future, the Lord will strengthen Israel. Fifty-five years in the future from this prophecy, when the Lord brings the Israelites back home. And that concludes Ezekiel chapter 29.